This podcast is a production of Restoring the Core, an initiative designed to assist those looking to explore classic Christianity with Connected Age resources online at restoringthecore.com. This is Finding Hidden Treasure, episode 103. This episode is an adaptation of an article I wrote entitled, Bricks Without Straw. At the time that I'm recording this podcast, the Restoring the Core initiative is in the beginning weeks of the Year of Biblical Literacy project. One of the week three readings reminded me of an article which I wrote as a reflection on Exodus chapter 5. I thought the article could prove useful during our Year of Biblical Literacy. The passage which I'll be looking at is in the context of Moses' return to Egypt. He was bringing a message from God to his people. It was a message of liberation and hope for the long-enslaved and oppressed Israelites. The knowledge that the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, knew of their plight and was acting on their behalf must have been a great encouragement. However, the Egyptian pharaoh wanted no part of this. The building projects that were being done through the slave labor of the sons of Israel were considered to be of paramount importance to the pharaoh. Despite an existing daily quota for the production of bricks to be used in the building projects, the pharaoh issued a strange and seemingly self-defeating edict. He wrote, You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. That's Exodus chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Implementing this edict could seriously delay the projects, yet it was issued with a specific purpose. Quote, The Israelites are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. That's Exodus chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Pharaoh wanted more than their slave labor. He demanded their time and attention. He wanted his work to dominate their time and thoughts. In his ungodly thinking, he thought that God and his words were nothing but a lie. The Pharaoh's strategy was to keep the minds of the Israelites off God and his words by forcing the Israelites to devote more time each day to their work, forcing people to use more of their fixed allotment of time, and making their daily toil more mentally and physically burdensome was the strategy of an evil Pharaoh so many centuries ago. It also seems to be a strategy of Satan, which 21st century followers of God must constantly guard against in daily life. Whether part of a purposeful strategy by the evil one, our own capacity for self-distraction, or the result of life circumstances which legitimately require our increased time and attention, how do we keep our minds on Christ when it seems that we are being forced to make bricks without straw? Let's consider the sovereignty of God. I find comfort in the fact that God does indeed control all things. His spirit blows through the sails of the ship of human history while his hand is firmly on the rudder. His purposes will eventually be accomplished. See Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, and the book of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Yet God's control is not just on the large-scale level of national and global events. He knows us individually and knows us well and at a level of detail which we cannot know ourselves. The psalmist instructs us as he prays to God, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Psalm 139, verses 1-4. through 4. 
Such a God is no stranger to our needs and circumstances. In Acts chapter 17, verses 25 and 26, Paul tells us that God created us and put us where and when we are for the very purpose of finding our God. Quote, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. End quote. In the stress-filled times in our lives, there is a tendency to look to another time or place as where we would find comfort and contentment. David, during his years of being chased through the land of Israel like a criminal, wrote, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. It's Psalm 55, verses 6-8. through 8. With King Saul and his army pursuing him, Israel's future king wanted to be anywhere other than where he was at. I think we've all had that feeling at some time in our lives. Being a history buff who has seen his share of 18th and 19th century American buildings, I used to think that life must have been much simpler and therefore better in those times. Yet, the Bible warns us about how we should look to the past. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10, the teacher instructs us, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not wisdom that you ask this. Rather, God tells us that the best time and place for us to live for God's glory is where he has put us and in the time he has placed us, as in right here and right now. God knows that for me, for the person that I am and he wants me to be, I need to be alive now in the early 21st century of America and not in the America of the 18th or 19th centuries or any other time or place. That holds true for all of us. Where and when we live in the scheme of human history is not an accident. The Lord knows us and the events that make up our lives. Yet, according to God, it is in the midst of life circumstances that God tells us, amazingly, we can best reach Him. Some thoughts on the practice of being selective. At the start of my walk with Christ, I was blessed to study scripture with a wonderful Bible study leader named Celeste. She taught me that the choice for a Christian is not between good and evil, since that choice is already settled. Rather, the choice is between what is good and what is best. This requires being selective and living life prayerfully with a sense of discernment. The times in which we live continue to force Christians to make a choice between the good and the best. We live in a world with so many choices that we are tempted to not choose but to try to have and do it all. While our choices of things in the Lord are increasing, such as Bible translations, books, audios, and videos, the amount of hours per day allotted to us hasn't increased. Consider how Christian literature from over 20 centuries of church history is becoming more available to the average believer. Protestants are becoming familiar with the writings of Teresa of Avila. Catholics are learning to appreciate the insights of Jonathan Edwards. Western Christians are being introduced to the works of Eastern Orthodox theologians, such as Gregory of Nazianus, Simeon the New Theologian, and Bishop Callistus Ware. Many classic Christian writings are now on the internet or available on downloadable media. Some simple math will show that our culture's attitude of trying to have it all falls far short of reality. I suspect that we followers of Christ can fall into the same trap as well. Let's do the math. Let's apply this to the specific area of Christian devotional reading, especially on digital sources. The equivalent of a church library can now be stored as text on thumb drives and other storage devices 
such as a terabyte drive, capable of storing one trillion bytes or characters of information. To give you some sense of scale, let's see what a terabyte drive is able to store compared to hard copy books. A Bible with a fair amount of commentary and notes takes up about 5 megabytes, that's 5 million characters of information. For our calculations, let's have our hard copy Bible text be a compact version, which is only one inch wide. How long would a single shelf need to be to hold all of the copies of these hard copy Bibles that you could store digitally on a terabyte drive? The shelf would be just a little under three and one sixth miles in length. That's only considering how much information you could store digitally. Think about what it would take to actually take all of this in. Let's consider a scenario in which you purposely limited your Christian devotional reading to using a reader tied to a terabyte drive, a storage device unimaginable for everyday use only as far back as the turn of the millennium, but commonly available today. This terabyte drive is filled to its maximum capacity with books, articles, etc. If your desire is to eventually read through every last piece of text on that drive, you will run into a problem, namely with the time available to you. If you devoted one hour to such a daily reading, it would take you a little over 39,452 years to get through everything on the terabyte drive. If you started at age 10 and read for one hour every day for the next 80 years, you would only get through 0.2% of the readings available to you. Restricting yourself to a much smaller device such as an iPhone wouldn't make that much of a difference. With the available space on an 8 gigabyte iPhone, your one hour daily readings would take 236 and a half years. Examples like these show us that with today's choices, trying to have it all just simply cannot happen. There is simply not enough time. You have to be selective and make a choice. Keeping this in mind allows us the freedom to know ahead of time that we must be selective and do so in the light of God's priorities for our lives. The same holds true for other aspects of our Christian walk as well. We can, in essence, be making bricks without straw in areas that do not involve an oppressive schedule forced on us by our jobs or through other life circumstances that are outside of our control. Strangely enough, we can engage in a self-imposed oppression. For example, we live in a culture that thrives on noise and activity. These conditions are not ideal for taking time to reflect on God and your life in Him. Yet how often, when we are by ourselves, do we needlessly destroy the silence by turning on a television or an audio player? While the ideas for this article were being put together, my wife Julie mentioned that she thinks that people often avoid silence voluntarily because they are afraid of the sense of emptiness they will find during those times of silence. I agree. Noise and busyness are two things that can take our minds off God. In contrast, Christian saints have cherished their times of silence and solitude. Thomas Kempis taught his monks to find the joy of the Lord while alone and quiet in their cells. In his 15th century work, Imitation of Christ, he instructs us in his chapter on silence and solitude with the following, Remain with him, that's with God, in your cell, for you will not find so great a peace anywhere else. In Thomas's time, the word cell did not have the meaning it does in our culture today. In the 15th century, the word cell did not describe a place of confinement. Rather, it was a small room that served as a monk's quarters. It's a shortened form of the Latin word celum, which means heaven. Those times of quiet and aloneness with God are not a time of confinement, but rather a sampling of heaven and interacting with our Lord Jesus, who sits at this moment in heaven at the right hand of his Father.
See the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 69. Discouragement is another way that we can try to make bricks without straw. It will often cause us to channel our time and energies into self-pity. It can produce an inner numbness of the spirit. It deflects us away from focusing on doing the will of the Lord. The Bible offers an example of what can happen when discouragement sets in. In the fourth chapter of the book of Ezra, we read about how the Israelites came back from exile in Babylon. They soon began to rebuild the temple. When political pressure mounted against them, the construction was forcibly stopped. The people became discouraged. The rebuilding of the temple was not resumed for another 20 years. The Israelites had inverted what Christ would teach centuries later. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Those Israelites who had returned from Babylonian captivity sought first all these other things. As a result, the other things failed. Keep in mind that money, food, and houses are not evil, but it is evil to pursue them as a first priority. Hagar reminded the Israelites that they needed to place God's priorities first in their lives. See Haggai chapter 1. What happened to those Israelites after their return from exile is a danger that we face as well. In our discouragement, we tend to take our minds away from the priority of Christ. Those other things that usurp God's first priority in our lives will ultimately fail to satisfy us. Some thoughts on sacrifice. We know that the Lord guides us through our circumstances, yet there is no guarantee that making the time for growth in Christ would be an easy thing. We are told in Scripture to not only lay aside sin, but also everything that hinders. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Jude writes that we need to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. The word translated into English as contend is taken from the Greek word from which we get the word agonize. Keeping the faith is not an easy matter. It requires diligence, patience, and sacrifice. Today, many of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world are learning this lesson to the extreme. Martyrdom and persecution are the price that they pay to keep their precious faith. I suspect that too many of us expect our life in Christ to just click into place without effort. Our walk of faith must never be on autopilot. Despite living in a culture of easy, instant spirituality, we are presented with many opportunities to actively and purposely grow in the faith. Being made in God's image, we are creative beings. Be creative in finding ways to redeem the time and keep fellowship with Jesus. Some of these ways are nothing more than points of good time management. Schedule your time of prayer, Bible study, or meditation on the Word as you would a doctor's appointment or a business meeting. Perhaps it means waking up half an hour earlier to carve out time which you thought you did not have. Lunchtime at work might provide a time for prayer, reading, or study. It may even mean going on a fast from listening to the radio in your car or watching television. Perhaps your car can act as a portable version of an inner room which provides you some small level of sanctuary and solitude to read, reflect, and pray. Something that has been helpful to me is using a smartphone. I use an app created by Olive Tree for reading several biblical translations on my iPhone. I also keep a number of ebooks available to read with the Kindle app. It continues to fascinate and challenge me that the equivalent of a large library can be kept and accessed on a device which fits into my shirt pocket. 
when waiting in a doctor's office or stuck in a long line at a grocery store. It is really satisfying to get out my smartphone and read from the Bible or a work of classic Christian literature. When I find myself in a long line at the grocery store, I find that being able to pick what I read from my iPhone is a much better use of time than being assaulted by magazines with images of celebrities and the tabloid racks beckoning me to read about their latest diet or love affair. It's a wonderful way to redeem the time. Some lessons learned. You can find the time to maintain a good fellowship with God in the midst of difficult circumstances. He expects us to. The Lord has placed us in these times so that we will find him. We live in a society in which we face enormous time pressures. We've seen how this can be used as a strategy against us by the enemy of our soul. See Matthew chapter 13 verse 39 and the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 verse 19. With the goal of trying to separate us from fellowship with God, realizing this, I'm learning the value of being selective with the time and treasures that the Lord has given. Lastly, I know that none of this will happen without a struggle. It takes creativity to fight back against the time pressures we face. However, this is a struggle we can and must win. Thank you for listening to this program. We can be contacted at mail at restoringthecore.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash restoringthecore. You can also follow us on Twitter at RestoreTheCore. My original blog is still active. It is found at schoolofthesolitaryplace.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time for Finding Hidden Treasure.